It, um, I mean, I, I think I say this every time I'm up here. That I mean, I, I think Dollar Club allows us to experience what Jesus says is true about generosity. It's better to give than to receive. And to recognize that you're a part of bringing blessing to someone else just brings such a blessing to us. So thank you for all of you who partner with us in this thing called Dollar Club. It really is a joy, and to be able just to see the, the, the smile and the joy that it brings on the face of, of Dennis. I love the perspective even that he said of this is the best year of my life, even in the midst of all of the turmoil that he is able to find a way of seeing the blessing of God in his life, bringing his mom and his grandma all over here, but just really the community rallying around him. So again, thank you for all that take part in Dollar Club. It really is a blessing. Welcome to those that are here, to those that are online. Uh, it has been such a time of celebration and worship so far, and we pray that that continues as we open up God's word together. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that, um, that you are a God who meets with his people, and we come here this morning with hearts that are all over the place. Some are full of joy, some are full of grief, but God, we know that you will meet each one. So we open up our minds, we open up our hearts to hear from you, God, we want and need to hear from you this morning. Spirit, do your work in our lives so that we leave here changed as a result of encountering you and your word. Amen. Well, as we go through life, just a general principle is that we have all kinds of different relationships, and those relationships have different kinds of depths to them. There's the neighbor down the street that, that you wave to every morning on your way, um, way into work, but you know their name, and that's about all that you know about them. Uh, you have some families that sit on the sidelines with you or sit in the bleachers uh, during kids' activities. And the conversations with those kinds of relationships are casual, and they stay pretty superficial. It's like, hey, how you doing? Doing fine. How are the wife? How are the kids? And, and it kind of stays on the sports and weather type of level. And everything is kind of talked about in superficialities and in generalities. And, and the depth of conversation reveals the depth of relationship. And if the conversation stays at that kind of surface level, then the relationship, the friendship, kind of stays at that surface level as well. But then there are those handful of deep friendships, deep relationships in our lives where the conversations are marked by honesty. There's a rawness to them, a vulnerability to them. They get to know the real you. You invite them into your life, and they know what makes you tick and what ticks you off. They know what, what gets you out of bed in the morning, what keeps you up at night. It's a different kind of conversation when you have a real friend. The depth of conversation reveals the depth of relationship. And that truth applies to our relationship with God as well. I think a lot of times we, we kind of keep God at arm's length and our conversations with him, our prayer life with him stays at a superficial and formulaic kind of level and the relationship kind of feels that same way. It feels kind of stilted. It feels formulaic, and it feels distant and shallow. And we kind of treat God like we treat our neighbor. We, we wave to him on our way into work, but that's about it. But the Bible paints the picture of a God as our Heavenly Father who created us, who knows us, who wants to know us at a deep level and wants us to know him at a deep level. Scripture actually says that he calls us his friend. So we're kicking off this brand new series called In the Middle, where we're gonna be taking a, a deep look at, at six different psalms. And we called it In the Middle for a couple of reasons. One, because psalms is in the middle of our Bibles, but more importantly, psalms speak into the middle of our lives. 
Um, these psalms, these songs, the, these prayers meet us right in the rawness of life and they instruct us and they remind us of who God is. And they, they, they describe a kind of relationship that he wants to forge with us. And these songs, these prayers have been the, the prayers of God's people for centuries. And there's a psalm for nearly every mood or every circumstance that you might go through in life, from the joys of forgiveness and gratitude and celebration and triumph to the opposite extremes of shame and fear and disappointment and anger. When we read these psalms, it's almost like we are peering over the shoulder of someone's spiritual journey. And sometimes that journey looks like it's full of triumph and other times it looks like it's a, a struggle and hardship and so the psalms capture the full spectrum of the human experience one biblical scholar describes the psalms as a school that, that teach us how to genuinely relate to god in the reality of life they teach us how to pray they teach us how to praise they teach us how to worship they teach us how to grieve so we're going to spend the next six weeks looking at some of the ways that we can pursue a real and an honest relationship with our Heavenly Father. And it seems fitting, if we're going to kick off a study of the book of Psalms, that we begin in Psalms chapter 1. So we'll read through the whole thing. There's only six verses here. And then we're going to kind of go back through and see how it applies to our lives. So Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on, on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the, of the, way of the wicked leads to destruction." So the psalmist lays out and says there, there are two deals on the table and you have a choice of what kind of life you want to experience. There's a life that is, that is like a deep-rooted tree that, that's fruitful, that, that is prosperous. And there's a life that is the exact opposite of a deep-rooted tree. He says it's like chaff. It just gets blown by the wind. It's like in, in, in our season right now, it's like leaves that are getting blown across your lawn. One of the things that I hate to do more than anything else is rake leaves. I hate it. I hate every aspect of leaves in my backyard. It seems like such an exercise in futility. I, I, the, the, this past week, I, I took our youngest, Daniel, out in the backyard, and we were trying to, to rake up the leaves and get them into the woods. Secretly, I was trying to teach him the trade so that I would never have to do it again, but it didn't quite work out that way. So I, I was using a leaf blower. He was using a rake. And just about the time that we had a nice pile and I was getting ready to blow it into the woods, the wind would pick up and it would rescatter all of the leaves all over the lawn again. It was not a good afternoon for this type A. And it was not a good evening for the type A's wife either because she had to deal with me afterwards. Uh, and, and I, but that, that is the picture that this psalmist is trying to paint of a life that is unrooted. It's a life that's just controlled by the wind of the day it's a life that's controlled by public opinion and popular culture and it's always unsettled and it's always just kind of floating through life without god and he says at the end of that it's like the self-destructive life it doesn't lead anywhere so there's two kinds of lives that, that this psalmist paints with two very different outcomes and again the psalmist says it's your choice 
There's two deals on the table. Which do you want? So we're going to take a look at the first half of this psalm and see how it is that we can make the right choice and how we relate to God and how we can experience the good life. He starts off in verse 1. He says, blessed is the one. The, the book of psalms that, that God has given us to shape us and, and to pray back to him begins with this. Blessed. That is that God wants to bless you. If you're taking notes, I think that's a powerful reminder for us to remember as we get started that, that God is a God that wants to bless you. The, the Hebrew word for blessed could, could also be translated happy, fortunate, fulfilled. God wants to lead us to a place of this deeply rooted foundational happiness in this life. So do you believe that's true? Do you believe that, 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 that God wants to bless you? For some, this may be a foreign idea because you kind of grew up with this concept that God is an angry God, that he's a, a killjoy that doesn't want you to experience joy. Like he's this cosmic cop that, that is just looking for you to mess up so that he can punish you. But what this teaches is that at the core of God's character is a father who wants to bless his kids. I, I, for me, I, like any other decent dad, I, I, I want to bless my kids. I, I want to give them some things in their life that, that bring joy to their life, that, that brings happiness in their lives. Does that mean that I give them everything that they want? No, that, that's not a blessing. We, we've all seen those kids, and, and nobody likes them. Sometimes you have to say no to your kids. In the same way, God's blessing is not giving us every desire of our heart. That, that, that's short-sighted. That, that's not really a blessing. He loves us too much to settle for only that. It's too temporary. It's too fleeting. Now, now God is the kind of God that he may choose to bless us from time to time with those kinds of material things. But ultimately, what God wants to do is he wants to lead us to a place of blessing. To a place where we truly know him and that we are following him as the leader of our lives. So, th this blessed life is offered to us, but there are a couple of principles that we need to chase after if we're actually going to experience this blessing in our lives. The first thing that we have to do is we have to choose our crowd carefully. N notice what he says there again in the first part of verse 1. He says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that the sinners take or, or sit in the company of mockers. He says, the blessed man or the blessed woman will avoid the wrong kinds of people, the, the wrong kinds of influence in their lives. And notice the progression, the, this downward spiral towards compromise. It, it begins with walking. He just starts off walking by it, but something catches his attention. And he looks, he's like, maybe I can try that out. And so you go from a place of walking to standing and you try your hand at it. And the next thing you know, you've pulled up a seat and you've completely embraced the values of the day. And that's the slow, steady, silent power of influence and hanging around with the wrong crowd. Someone once said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. In, in so many ways, our friendships will determine the quality and the direction of our lives. The, the, the next book over in Proverbs, Solomon says it this way. He says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 
over and over again th throughout Scripture, we're warned of the corrupting influence of the wrong crowd. And I would dare say that everyone in this room has experienced that firsthand. Maybe it was in your teenage years or, or your college years, but you can look back now and you can begin to see how your life began to mimic the crowd that you were hanging around with. And before you knew it, you found yourself in a place that you never would have imagined that you would end up. And for some of you to this day, you may still be carrying some of the baggage of those decisions. Some of the emotional scars or the hurt or the regret. And I would say even in our current world that the influence that we're kind of talking about here, it may not just be friendships or relationships, but the crowd might also just be the, the inputs that we allow into our lives. I think we underestimate, greatly underestimate the influence that, that our phones have on our lives. 24 hours a day, we have access to influence in our lives in the form of news feeds and social media and the shows that we consume. And, the, and there's nothing inherently wrong with any of them. But those inputs, those influences are setting a direction for your life, whether you realize it or not. Now, now the good news is that this principle works in both directions. That if you hang around with the right crowd, if you surround yourself with some godly people who are chasing after the things of God, then your life will silently and steadily be influenced by them as well. And you'll find that you're making wiser decisions. And you'll find that your relationships are getting sweeter. You'll find that your life, the trajectory of your life is kind of going up and to the right. So who are your friends? Who's the crowd that you have put in your life? Do you have some brothers and sisters in Christ who love you, who know you, who care for you, who love you enough to call you out on some things, to, to share hard truths with you if needed, who have the permission to say, whoa, pump the brakes there, bud. Uh, I don't think that you're going in the right direction. That's not the direction that you said you wanted to go in. If you go down that path, you know where it leads. It's going to mess up your marriage. It's going to mess up your relationship with your kids. It's going to mess up your career. It's going to uh, mess up your character. We, we have to have some people in our corner who can say and help us keep headed in the direction of God. We, we have to have the right crowd in our corner. Now, this doesn't mean that, that we completely isolate ourselves from the world and we don't have any friends that aren't Christians. Scripture won't allow for that approach to life either. There's this tension that we have to go through as believers and followers of Jesus where while we recognize that we can be influenced and we can be pulled in the direction of the wrong crowd, we're also still called to walk and live in the world so that we can influence others in the direction of Christ. We don't have time to get there this morning, but if you want to make a note, in, in Matthew chapter 9, there's this scene where Jesus has gone to, to a, a new follower's house, Matthew's house, and he's there with, with all of Matthew's heathen friends, uh, the, the, the tax collectors, the, the sinners that, that Matthew used to hang around with, and the spiritual leaders of the day come into the house, and they chastise Jesus for hanging around the wrong people, and Jesus responds by saying, it, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so to, to be a Christ follower means that, that we need to have that same kind of approach to life. We need to have an approach to our lives where, where we have godly friendships, where we have the right kinds of crowd and influence in our lives, but where we also can build bridges of friendship 
bridges of influence in the lives of other people to, to earn the right to share this same good news, that there is an offer of mercy and grace to those that are living far from God. So if we want to experience the blessed life, then we must first choose our crowd carefully. And then the second principle is that we need to follow God's compass closely. That, that God has given us his written word as, as a compass to guide us through this life. Look, look at what he says. He says, but those who delight, but, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That the blessed man, the blessed woman is able to turn down the noise of the world and to turn up the volume of the word of God in their lives. And the psalmist uses this poetic language of that we delight in the law of the Lord and we meditate on it day and night. And you may, may read that and go, that, that sounds great, but I have a job. I, I can't do this day and night. So what does it really mean? How, how do we actually live in a way where God's word is a compass to our lives, where we can delight in it, where we can meditate on it? So what does it mean? What do these two things mean? What does it mean to delight in the Bible? If you're taking notes, delight means that we ask this question, what does God think about this? It's this attitude that says, since I know that God loves me, since I know that God wants to bless me, that he wants to lead me to a blessed life, when I come to a decision, that I want to hear what he says about it. That, that God's thoughts on this thing in front of me matter to me. To delight in the law of the Lord doesn't necessarily mean that you wake up in the morning and you jump out of bed and you want to do this in-depth Bible study. Now, part of it could be that, but it's just this attitude that says, I need to know what my father thinks about this so that I can make the right choice, the right decision. God in his love for us has given us his owner's manual on how life was designed to be lived. And if we'll treat the Bible that way, it just makes life a lot easier. Uh, Proverbs 2 says it this way. My son, if, if you accept my words, and if you store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, this is what can happen in your life, then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For, will, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be, will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Here's the promise that God has for those that, that take in his word on a daily basis, that seek his guidance and wisdom in scripture. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and knowing what the right and just and fair thing to do in each and every decision. That, that you can have the discretion, you can have the discernment to evaluate an opportunity for what it really is. That, that you can evaluate a, a temptation that's in front of you and see what it really is. The man or woman who delights in the law of the Lord wants to know what God says. So they find the way to make sure that they get the word of God inside of them that they store it so that they have this, this pool of wisdom and discernment and discretion in their lives. So if you're a reader, then read. And I know a, a lot of people, a lot of guys in particular, say, I, I'm not a reader. Like, okay, then listen. You can listen to the word. There are all kinds of ways in our day where we can get the word of God inside of us. You hear us say all the time, 15 minutes a day in the word will change your life. That, that you need more than just what we do here on Sunday morning. We'll do our best to prepare a meal for you on a Sunday morning 
in his word, but one meal a week is not going to be enough. So find the ways that you can delight in the law of the Lord, that you really care and matter. It matters to you what God's word says. Do you delight in the word? Do you want to know what God says? And then the other part that he says is that if we want to use God's word as a compass, we have to delight and we have to meditate. What does it mean to meditate? Well, the word literally means to murmur. It's this idea that that you wrestle with the word, that you ask questions of it, that that you discuss it with other people. You can say it this way, that to to meditate means to ask this question, now how do I live this out? How do I actually apply what it is that I am reading here? We, We don't read the Bible just to gain theological understanding. We don't just read the Bible so we have these spiritual truths. We read the Bible so that we know how to live. It's application that actually makes all the difference in our lives. So as I'm going through my day, I'm running my attitudes. I'm running my actions through a biblical grid. So I understand how do I align my life with what God says is right. I've taught this before, but I think one of the ways that you can read the Bible so you can get application out of it is to use this acronym SPEC. And you can run any passage of Scripture through these five questions and find a way that you can apply it in your life is there a sin to confess so often when we read scripture we'll be convicted by either a a command or or a sin that god just says this is not right or we see it as an example and like god there's an area in my life that you're shining a spotlight on that i need to confess and get rid of is there a promise to claim throughout scripture god gives all of these promises to those that are following him And sometimes we need that kind of reassurance that we can plant our feet on something, a a promise of God. Is there an example to follow or an example to avoid? As you read through the the Old Testament accounts of of what the Israelites went through and the ups and the downs and and even some uh, that you find in in the gospel narratives, these narratives so often will will find these great examples of men or women of faith that, that we can attach our lives to and learn from. But we can also see some examples of things to avoid. So as we read through Scripture, we can say, is there an example that I need to follow or to avoid in my life? Is there a clear command to obey? Sometimes, especially early on in your walk, there are a lot of commands that you don't even know, that you're just walking through life ignorant. But as God reveals a clear command, how do you go about being obedient to what it says? And then is there some knowledge of God to learn and to worship? That as we learn these different aspects of who God is, it should change the way that we view life, the way that we view him as our father, as our leader in life. And as we get to know the word, as we get to know the word of God, as we take the time to delight in it, and then we start to live out its principles and commands through application, then we'll begin to see the kind of changed life that we want to experience. That's what it means to follow God's compass. And here's what happens if someone chooses the right crowd and they follow the right compass. In verse 3, it says, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Wouldn't you like a little of that in your life? Wouldn't you like to experience some of that? Here's some of the real rewards of remaining faithful to God. This is is the good life. This is the blessed life that God wants to lead us towards. The first thing is that we find that this good life is consistent, that the psalmist says that, that you'll be like a tree that's planted, that your life will have roots 
that there's a constancy that comes from being guided by God, that, that, you, that you're not quickly knocked off course when circumstances around you change. There's a stability in your life, that, that you're not controlled by, by your emotions, that you're not controlled by your flesh, that, that you're not controlled by the world around you, that, that you're not just carried around by the winds of the day, by the latest trends or opinions of culture, that the blessed life is it's consistent, it's anchored, it, it's rooted. The second thing is that, that it's fruitful. He says that, that you will bear fruit in season. So, so what is the fruitful life of a follower of God supposed to look like? I mean, if you have an apple tree, then you expect apples to appear. If you have an orange tree, you expect oranges to appear. So what, what is a, the, the fruitful life of a believer supposed to look like? It means that, that we're gonna look more like him. That, that as our roots tap into his spirit that lives inside of us as followers of him, that we will begin to bear his fruit in our lives. And love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. That, that we're not manufacturing these things. It, it's produced in us from the inside out. And those attributes start impacting our relationships they start defining our relationships with our spouse with our kids the kinds of conversations that, that we have at work with the relationships that we have with those other families that are on the sidelines or in the bleachers that our lives begin to bear the kind of fruit that looks more and more like our savior the third thing is that there's endurance through hard seasons the psalmist says that their leaves do not wither during dry seasons, during droughts. The, the blessed life does not mean that we will be free from heartache, from hurt, from trials, from, from tragedy. Everyone goes through hard seasons. But, but if we have built our lives on this firm foundation of God and his word, then when those seasons happen, we have something, and maybe more importantly, someone to cling to during those droughts, during those hard seasons. And here's what I found to be true in my life, that these hard seasons can actually grow your faith. I know some of you have experienced tragedy as well in your life, but I learned that, that I can actually grieve and not lose hope. I learned that, that you can hurt that you can be angry, that you can ask questions of God and not give up. And during the lowest times of my life, I, I discovered and I experienced at, at, at the soul level that God, God's promises hold true, that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you, that he is with you, that he was with me even in the darkest valley, that those aren't just cliches, those aren't just theological platitudes, but, but they became real. There was, there was a depth to them that I didn't know until I went through those droughts. And it's in those seasons of drought that, that your roots actually have a, an opportunity to go deeper. And what you discover it is not that the pain and the sorrow and the hurt and the grief go away, but you discover a depth of your faith 
and you discover a depth of your relationship with God that you didn't have before and that there's an ability to, to have peace and, and there's an ability to even have, have joy that comes from knowing that God is there with you, that his hand is, is upholding you during those hard times and that he sustains you so that you do not wither during those hard seasons of life, that there's a perseverance, that there is an endurance. And then lastly, that, that there's a pattern of prosperity that marks your life. Whatever they do prospers. And again, this doesn't mean cash and prizes. God loves us more than just to give us these temporary fleeting things. Even though God may choose to bless his kids that way from time to time, what he's talking about here is that, that if we have the right crowd in our lives, and if we have the right compass that we are following, that we will experience the blessing of knowing and following God's will for our lives. That, that's the definition of success and prospering that God has, that, that you will accomplish the plan and the purpose that he has for your life, that I will accomplish. He created me and has a purpose for my life. Prospering means that I'm actually able, able to achieve what God has in, um, in store for me. And I experience the joy of having God as my leader as I walk through and navigate this life. This is what blessing looks like. It's consistent, it's fruitful, it's enduring, and it's faith-filled as we follow after God's plan for our lives. A few weeks ago, um, I, I had the, 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 the parental opportunity to lovingly speak some truth into the lives of one of my kids. I mean, it's a conversation that I've had multiple times as I see some things that need to be corrected. That's just part of what it means to be a parent. But on, on this one occasion, as I was trying to, to correct and they weren't receiving it, I, I said to them, listen, I'm your dad. I, I want what's best for you. And if you would just listen to your dad who loves you, your life would go better. And there was this voice in my head that went, mm, that's good. Say it again. And I'm like, you're right, that was good. Let's say that again. I, I want what's best for you. And if you would just listen to your dad who loves you, your life would be so much better. And then I realized that that message wasn't just for my kid. It's a message for me. It's a message for you. It's the message of Psalm 1. It, it's God saying to us, I want what's best for you. I, I want to bless you. And if you would just listen to your heavenly father who loves you, your life would go so much better. He loves us. He wants to lead us to a life of blessing. He's given us his word. He's given us his people to allow us to experience his blessing in our lives, but the choice is ours. So we're gonna close with a song this morning that reminds us again of the joy and the blessing of choosing to build a life on the firm foundation of God's love for us so that we can experience this blessed life, this good life that he wants to lead us to. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the reminder that at the core of who you are in your character is that you are a heavenly father who loves us, who wants to lead us to a life of blessing. But you have allowed us to make a choice. Help us to, to see the path that our lives are on and to make any corrections, to make sure that we choose the wise thing of surrounding ourselves with good and godly people that can point us in your direction and to build our lives on the firm foundation of your word. Um, 
Give us the courage to take the steps that we need. We love you, God. Amen. Christ is my firm foundation The rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaking I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus Cause he's never let me down He's faithful through generations So why would he fail now? He won't 
morning. We'll see everybody next week.